the elite. Best of the best. We'll make it better. I'm Maverick. Maverick? Does your mother not like you or something? You're everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. And although we're not at war, we must always act as though we are at war. You think your name's gonna be on that plaque? Yes, sir. That's pretty arrogant, considering the company you're in. I like that in the pilot. Is that why you fly the way you do? Trying to prove something? Trying to prove something? Sarah. Alex. Just remind our listeners quickly what the show Why Our Dads is about. We are discussing movies through a dad lens, and we invite people on to talk about movies that are important to them when they think about dad type stuff. And today we watched Top Gun. What was your impression when you knew that we were going to watch Top Gun? What were your first thoughts? I was like, I bet there's dad stuff in there. And I could not remember a single thing about dads, but I just remembered vaguely watching it and being like, there are a lot of men in this movie and they all have feelings. And it's one of those men feelings movies, which is just like my, that's my favorite (laughs) kind of movie, uh, which is why I do this show. And but I, I didn't remember any of the dad stuff at all. And I was shocked that there was so much plot about that that I had no memory of when we watched it. On this episode, we had Clementine Ford, who is in, an author, a writer, uh, based in Australia, feminist critic. And she was the one who suggested we watch Top Gun. But Top Gun, for people who have not seen Top Gun, is ultimately about a character named Maverick who's played by Tom Cruise Maverick has to go. His name is actually Pete, but no one remembers that. Yeah. <laughs> it's about Maverick. He he is one of the best pilots in the Navy. He has to go to Top Gun, which is a school for the top 1% in all pilots. And the rest of the movie is about pilots at school. <laughs> it is a Disney Channel original movie for adult men. <laughs> what is the tension in the movie? The tension in the movie is that Maverick is not a team player and he takes too many risks and he abandons his wingman and stuff like that. The, to me, the drama is him and his relationships and him having these relationships with his classmates and with his teachers in the school. And then to a degree with his girlfriend, the astrophysicist, Kelly McGillis. Yeah, this is it's 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 about it's about his relationships and about how they are impacted by his being quite literally a maverick. And I guess it's interesting too the kind of the lack of stakes in this movie seemingly because the thing that Tom Cruise is trying to do that's motivating his behaviors and kind of driving the plot is that he's in Top Gun school and he wants to be the top gun and top gun. He wants to be the toppest gun. And he wants to get his name on a plaque. Like, we're not at war. (laughs) He doesn't need to, like, undermine a missile or something. He just wants to be on that plaque. So we watch him learn how to try to excel and compete without putting his life and other people's lives at risk. Yes. All right. Well, let's, uh, 
Let's watch Top Top Gun. <laughs> Let's top some guns. We asked you to come on. You very enthusiastically suggested Top Gun. Can you tell us about that and why? <laughs> well, my name is Clementine Ford. I'm an Australian writer, huge fan of uh, Why Our Dads, by the way. I'm also obsessed with movies. And when I started listening to your podcast, you know, the, from the very beginning, obviously I'm very, I'm a feminist writer in Australia. And so I am very interested in disentangling of dads and patriarchy and pop culture and what it all means. And as I was listening, I was like, you have to do Top Gun. This is the ultimate dad movie. Weirdly, for someone who is best known in Australia for being like a... I think the Daily Mail described me as a hardline feminist. As conservative media does, everything to do with my feminist work is, is presented as if I am the devil incarnate. Having said that, I am a huge fan of Tom Cruise. I think Tom Cruise is, he is like one of the last remaining true movie stars. Tom Cruise is like a bona fide movie star. Tom Cruise, his job is being Tom Cruise. And I really admire someone who gets up every day and is like, you know what, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be Tom Cruise. And so I, I, I love Top Gun and I love what it kind of, even though it's probably one of the least favourite of his films, based on uh, what I know about Tom Cruise. Like, it's such a glorious popcorn movie, but there are all of these layers in it, too. How do you reconcile loving Tom Cruise? Like, what is going on there? I mean, your fave is problematic, right? <laughs> He's a special breed, Tom Cruise. And I, I have to say as well, I have to pay huge tribute to Amy Nicholson's Anatomy of an Actor, her biography of Tom Cruise, which I own, because <laughs> it really is the definitive guide to Tom Cruise. I mean, he's, his dad was abusive and he grew up with an emotionally distant father who was a bully who is described as being the kind of man who would, like, tower over you and push you around. So I feel like a lot of what I see in Tom Cruise, I think, is leaving aside the fact that he's connected to a cult and they obviously do incredibly terrible things to people all over the world, I also see someone who is, whose existence is informed by trauma and by childhood trauma. And I think that makes me feel quite warm towards him. And I don't have to love everything that he does or represents to enjoy, I suppose, the more kind of Tom Cruise-ish elements of Tom Cruise. I feel like it ties in a way to this movie, and we should talk about that in a second, but can you just say, like, on the surface, textually, what is Top Gun about? Okay, on the surface, Top Gun is about... It, it is about the pursuit of excellence, and that is not what people associate with the movie. They associate it as being, you know, I think it's been described as, like, men fly, flying giant dicks around the sky. Like, it's a very hyper-masculine tribute to testosterone and some people view it as, as a tribute to war, particularly in, you know, like a, a Reagan era. But actually, Top Gun is a movie about one man wrestling with the ghost of his father and his own pursuit of excellence and desire to, to stand on his own two feet and be recognised as having ascended into adulthood and manhood. I mean, I'm glad you said that because I read 20 essays on Top Gun getting ready for this and I saw no mention of his father, which is 
strange to me because it's the engine for all of his action the entire time. We have this guy, Maverick, who's played by Tom Cruise, and we have his buddy, Goose, who's played by uh, uh, ER's own Anthony Edwards. They get accepted into the Top Gun program, which is for the top 1% of all Navy pilots, I believe. They are essentially pitted in a competition against... Iceman, who is played by Val Kilmer. The rest of the movie, for the most part, with the exception of this weird 10 minutes at the end, is about the competition between them to see who is the best pilot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, that is basically it. It's, it is a, a big competition to see who is the best man and the best pilot. So you said it's about excellence, which again, I find to be fascinating. And I want you to talk more about that because it, it obviously is about excellence, but I don't think if you pulled the average dad who loves this movie and we put a question on Twitter the other day about like, what's your dad's favorite movie and Top Gun came up over and over and over. I don't think anyone would consciously say it is a movie about the pursuit of excellence. Can you talk about that? You have to look at Top Gun as being not just a movie, but also being a vehicle to explain Tom Cruise as a person. So Tom Cruise, the more you know about him, the more you see this kind of very, like, controlled exterior that is, in many ways, it's like his own battle for that excellence in himself. And the reason I say that it's, about, it's a movie about excellence is because one of the advisors on the movie, a man named Pete Pettigrew, who worked for the Navy... He worked with Tom Cruise at the time and, you know, Tom Cruise did all these things like for two months he drove back and forth to Miramar because he wanted to spend time with the pilots and he learned how to fly a plane and he got his flight certification and he wanted to reflect. I mean, he was doing this kind of blockbuster movie but he was, he was desperate to be seen as an, a, a serious actor. Pete Pettigrew said at the time that, you know, we wanted to make a movie about killing people but here was this guy and he, he said he would only do it if he could make changes to the script, if he could direct the movie to be what he wanted. And he wanted it to be a movie about excellence. He wanted it to be a movie really about athletes. So that's why there's not really... I mean, you have that weird scene at the end, but I think that that's probably more studios being like, well, we need to have, like, some weird war thing at the end for, for this to make sense. You know, you said before, Alex, about the... No-one mentioned his father in the movie. And that's, it is strange that... His father occupies this really very big kind of presence in the character's life and motivation, but it's not really developed properly as a, as a storyline because that element was added by Tom Cruise as well and it was because he felt like that would explain something about Maverick's character, that he was all cock and swagger and bravado on the outside, but actually on the inside he was this person that was really reckoning with the legacy of his father who, you know, for people who haven't picked up on this in the movie, there's this sort of ghost-like figure of Maverick's father that he was, he, his plane went down in Vietnam, he was in disgrace, you know, his, he's told at the start by Stinger, you know, the, the James Tolkien who plays basically every authoritarian dad character in every movie, um, you know, the, the principal in Back to the Future, that guy. He's told by him at the start, you know, like, you, your family name is nothing and you don't, you don't have the luxury of being able to behave this way because you've got your family name on your back. So there's that immediately that element of, like, to become a man within the context of Top Gun in this universe, Maverick needs to wrestle with the legacy of his father, he needs to define himself against his father, but also he needs to do that very son-like thing of 
avenging his father's name. You know, everyone that Tom Cruise forms a connection with, which is really that he becomes close to, is essentially a stand-in family member for him because it sounds mm-hmm. like he has no living family, right? His mom his mom is dead and used to, used to listen to music, and his dad died in Vietnam. This, this top-secret way that he can't find out. Right, that no one can talk about. First of all, I love that Tom Cruise, who I believe was almost maybe going to become a priest at one time, has, like, given himself not, like, a secretive, tight-lipped Irish dad and some quiet Catholic family secrets, but family secrets that are literally top-secret U.S. government classified file stuff, which, like, isn't that a great way of just making—it's just, like— making real the feeling of a family secret where it like it feels like when your parents or your family have something they don't want to talk about it's like the government can't let you know i love that for him (laughs) (laughs) and it's wonderfully convenient that the person who he forms a father-like relationship viper who's played by tom scare in this movie uh surprise flew with his dad (laughs) of course he did it's so good and then at the end he gets to hold like a precious jewel the story of what happened to maverick's dad and i think we're led to believe that charlie who's played by kelly mcginnis in this movie is going to be who's the love interest whose name everyone has forgotten i'm completely sure because of the significance of that character. <laughs> I was led to believe that because of her proximity to like the oh, top secret everything and her knowledge of everything in this right. arena, that she was going to be the person who revealed this information to Tom Cruise. And no, it's Tom Skerritt. That would have been a strong storytelling <laughs> choice. But no, it's Tom Skerritt. And I feel like, is it too early to talk about Charlie? Because I find this character so fascinating in the sense that if she left, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> and she doesn't need to be in this movie at all, in my opinion. Clementine, why do you think she's in this movie? Well, firstly, they, you need to have, in a movie that is drenched with homoeroticism, and yes, you're right, like it's low-hanging fruit to go go for the homoerotic elements of Top Gun. Having said that... But it's delicious fruit. It is delicious, it's ripe, it's juicy, and it's easy to grab. <laughs> um, you know, and it's and it's a very homoerotic movie. Funnily enough, like, to, I, I recently found out that the locker room scene and the volleyball scene as well, you know, where they're all sort of topless, like Tom Cruise did not want to do that because he was so determined that he was going to be a serious actor. He didn't want to be seen as a pin-up. I love he that. He had provisions written into his into his contract that they could film the volleyball scene and the, the locker room scene, but they wouldn't be able to take still photography because he didn't want that to be part of the press pack. Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer like, were like, well, we have to have the topless scenes in order to get the female audience in. And when I read that, I was like, but I've literally never heard a producer say, we need to do something for the women watching this movie. Women and machinery don't <laughs> mix. So, you know, it is a very homoerotic film. And given that, they need to obviously have, like, a woman that the main character can prove his virility with and his masculinity. And I actually love that, like, there's always, there was always going to be a love interest in a movie like this. But I love that it wasn't kind of what you would expect. Like in the original script, she was written much more as like a cheerleader, um, quote unquote, bimbo type character. Obviously not a great word, but 
you know, 80s. But we know what that word is trying to express. Like, we know that she would have been written as, like, she has a dress with cutouts and, like, <laughs> you know, she's, like, a waitress. And when he meets her, she's, like, stacking a bunch of glasses. And, like, we, we can just, like, write that character in our sleep from having seen other movies in our lives. In that character, he makes her believe that he could take her away from it all, but we know that he won't really. So I, I kind of love that one of the changes that he wanted made was to that character, but also that they brought in... Oh, Kelly McGillis would not be cast in that role today. By the way, McGillis mm-hmm. M- is her name. And again, I refuse to know a person's real name. <laughs> what are, were you calling her, like, Kellen McGillicuddy this whole time? Very close. <laughs> <laughs> I think knowing what I know about Tom Cruise and wanting this to be a movie about excellence, it's not enough that this guy can fly like he can. It's not enough that he can attract incredibly attractive women. It is he attracts an astrophysicist who needs to be with him. Like, like it's it's it is it is incredible. And it's kind of it is a step up, a step up from the quote bimbo archetype that we were talking about. But it also just feels like it is feeding the fuck out of Tom Cruise's ego. And also Kelly McGillis is a lesbian in real life. So when they kiss, you're just like, hmm, look at that. It's a it's not a great sex scene. That is uh, that is true. I don't think anyone needs to see that tongue again. Tom Cruise was apparently very method. Even when filming Top Gun, he was very method about the whole thing. And he kind of refused to really socialize with um, talk to or even spend much time with like offset. Uh, he refused to spend time with Val Kilmer and and Kelly McGillis. Because in Val Kilmer's case, he wanted to inform the tension between him and Iceman when they were filming. And in Kelly McGillis's case, he wanted to kind of, in a different way, inform that tension of, of the will they won't there. She doesn't really know what's going on in his head. So, which I kind of think, like, if you're going to film a sex scene with someone, then you need to take them out to lunch. <laughs> totally. I, you know, I forget that at least in the mid-'80s, Access to celluloid sex was not easy, and so people were still kind of like they would go to see a big budget movie and be like, "Oh, great! There's a sex scene. I can see nudity that is not my partner. This is wonderful." Yeah, but it is the most. It, it, it lacks chemistry, and the kids can come along too. This is amazing, and we're all getting air conditioning, and that was movies. Maverick, you big stud, take me to bed or lose me forever. Clementine, can you talk a bit about Maverick's relationship with Viper? Like, who is Viper in the context of Top Gun? What is what is their relationship? Okay, well, firstly, as uh, one of you pointed out before, Viper is played by Tom Skerritt, who was my very first crush mm. as a small child. So he is literally my dad In Top crush. Gun or, or Tom Skerritt and other stuff as well? Actually, it was in The Parent Trap, too, that I first oh. saw him. And he had a real dad vibe there. Yeah, still still carry a flame for that. I one. really like him in Alien. I thought he was... I, I totally get him in Alien. Tom Skerritt plays Viper, who is... Like, he, he works at Miramar, you know, slash Top Gun, and he is the flight instructor. He's also obviously a, a naval officer of many years' experience. And he kind of he kind of fills this sort of mentor 
guidance role, the dad role for Maverick throughout. You know, he says to him right in the first class that they sit in together and Maverick's like, yeah, I think I am going to win that trophy actually. I reckon I'm going to win it. Looking back at Val Kilmer, you know, it's mine. And Viper's like, that's pretty arrogant considering some of the company that you're in. I like that in a pilot. (laughs) 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 So he's kind of like, he, he, he fulfills the substitute dad role. He's the surrogate father. And then of course we find out at the end, you know, he's, he's there for Maverick after Goose dies. And he's like, you fly planes long enough, son, this is going to happen. You know, I've been there. I've seen it. I've seen death. And, and look at me, I'm a flight instructor. He comforts him through that. And he says, don't quit. Don't quit Top Gun. You're so close to graduating. You can, you can get back in a plane again. And then he says to him, I actually, I, sh- I would be court-martialed for telling you this. I'm going to tell you the classified information. I was with your father when it happened. You know, we were, fi- we were fighting, um, what do you say, we were dogfighting in Vietnam. And, you know, he, he stuck around, his plane was shot and he stuck around, saved three men's lives that day before his, his plane went down. And Tom Cruise is like, Maverick's like, well, why don't I know this information? Like, he died a hero. Why is this, why have I been made to believe that he died in shame? And Viper's like, well, because we were, you know, like inconveniently just fighting in the wrong airspace. So, like, that, I, when I rewatched that last night, I was like, hmm, that's a little nugget of information that you, like, totally buried the lead there, Viper. You guys were kind of doing the wrong thing. what do you take that to mean literally well look again i feel like i feel like the actual the accuracy of some of the scripting around the plane fighting is probably not great so in in the same way that i don't really understand the conflict that happens at the end of the movie or how they get away with like shooting at foreign planes across in territory that's not America's like how do they get away with that it's never explained we don't need to know we just need to know that there are men in planes in the sky having each other's backs yeah Viper's not really uh he doesn't really explore that theme too much but I get the feeling that they were maybe all kind of doing the wrong thing which obviously happened a lot in Vietnam and but it was fine because Maverick's dad saved three men's lives that day. You know, he died a hero, but it's classified. <laughs> it's it's such a it's so interesting, right? Because like Maverick is a Maverick, in part because of his like reckless insecurity that comes with the fact that his father died, and he feels like he has to prove something to him. And you would think that this is a story about someone learning to become mature and to like grow a little bit. But this is not that at all. Cause he meets a new dad figure who is like, I love that you're reckless. Keep being reckless. As a matter of fact, I was reckless with your dad in Vietnam. Kind of why he's dead. And his buddy dies. He has this realization about his dad dying And his new dad his surrogate dad is just basically like, ah, you lose people. Fuck it. Don't worry about it. And fortunately it reinforces that boldness. So he can, he, 
can, in the end, say, you know, and we'll talk about sort of this this weird ending that doesn't really matter, but he, it puts him in a situation where he's got to save who is the antagonist throughout this entire movie, Iceman, and then they become friends through it. This movie is like an endorsement and underscoring of like dad's creating damage and then dad's saying that damage is okay because it makes you a better person in the end. It makes you a better pilot. And like sometimes you have to have an international incident but you become friends with Iceman Kazansky and you <laughs> hug and it's all worth it. And like, are we at war with the USSR? Whatever. I was wondering, Sarah, because we asked on Twitter, like what people's favorite dad movies are. And this one came up so much. And there's something about all the kinds of movies that came up that I'm realizing that the through line is they were ultimately feelings adjacent movies like they huh. they weren't movies about feelings like para feelings yes <laughs> yes there were, <laughs> there were feelings that men were going through that were represented but you didn't really have to dive down too deep into them and then they were masked by a shitload of of action it's funny when i watched this movie i'm not saying that my lack of interest in footage of planes means they're not interesting. I think planes are interesting. They're a marvel of engineering. I think they're amazing. I love that people love planes. I cannot pay attention <laughs> when they're on screen. I can't tell who's doing what. Everyone's eyebrows look the same to me. I can't get a sense of like what's happening. I have to go on Wikipedia and like look up the summary of what's going on. I have no clue what's happening. But boy, do I know those planes are important to this movie being what it is. Like, do you think the planes are acting out the feelings? Like, I think about this with Miami Vice because they do this a lot where, like, Crockett is driving and it's a montage and they will cut from, like, Crockett's face to, like, the car, just the nose of the car driving through Miami. And it feels like the car is supposed to be emoting for him or, like, expressing the emotion. Like, do you think, is that happening? Oh, I mean, like, it's very reductive but I'm going to go there. It's very reductive to say that, like, well, it's, you know, giant phalluses in the sky or, like, a car fucking the road or whatever. It's the same way that, like, men love sports because it's the one way that they can hug each other, you know, that they can, like, tap each other on the butt and be like, you did a great job out there, champ. Two months after this movie came out, the recruits for the Navy were up, like, more than they'd been ever. And 90% of the new recruits had watched Top Gun. So there's this sense of like men watching these things and men have been, I mean, Alex, you can speak more to this, but men have been fed this kind of intoxicating idea of stoic masculinity. That's like patriarchy writ large. And we're just going to be men out there and having no feelings with each other. But that's why we play sport and go to war so that we can fucking have an excuse to cry. Um, because our dads didn't hug us enough when we were growing up or they died in Vietnam. I mean, that actually did happen to a lot of people, so that's extremely sad. I think that watching those scenes functions not just as this, like, giant cock in the sky fucking the air, but also, like, I've I've got my bros' backs. Like, we can get down on the ground and be like, yeah, we, we told those Russians or ambiguously you know, ambiguous nationality that's never really pointed out in the movie. Um, we really showed them what America was all about. And America is about brotherhood. Movies like this are interesting for me because 
I mean, I, I certainly never identified as straight as a, as a, as a, as a boy. Plus, um, my dad, uh, my dad went through very similar stuff that's revealed in this, uh, with regard to like weird back channel military politics that made him just sort of sick of like dealing with the military, like hidden stuff, like weird fellow soldiers getting fucked over. So his take to me was like, don't join the military at all. So Things like watching military movies are strange to me, period, until I can watch them in layers like this. And I never really felt weird about feelings as a as a kid. But I think that what you're saying makes so much sense, Clementine, where this kind of manifestation of feelings, exactly like you said, like, I've got your back. And not only do I have your back, I'll fucking kill somebody who comes at you. Like, it is feelings to 11, as Sarah would say. Like, it is just straight feelings without ever acknowledging that they're feelings. And, And I think what you're saying, Sarah, is correct. Like, I think that, like, all this posturing and maneuvering in the sky is supposed to represent something it's just so blunt it's hard to see it in the moment unless you're doing you're doing a read after the fact i just can't tell what plane has what guys in it it's just very (laughs) hard for me but but also i love how like the final big emotional journey of this is like maverick learns to be a team player and i also love how iceman where i was watching it this time and i was like wait uh We've been told that Iceman is this villain character. He's basically the antagonist of the movie. And, like, he basically is just like, you're not a team player. You're not safe out there. And it's like, he's right. He's just kind of a killjoy, isn't he? Like, he loves team players. (laughs) (laughs) In his way, he's reinforcing that Maverick is Maverick. He's basically, like, saying his name over and over by saying he's not a team player. And Maverick is like, yeah, it's my name. (laughs) Yeah, my name is not a team player. (laughs) I kind of feel like Val Kilmer is also an interesting dad-type character. Yeah, please speak more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, as opposed to, I, I, he is meant to be the antagonist in some weird way or the kind of, the the love interest not in terms of homoeroticism, although that reading definitely is there. I think Maverick really admires him in some way and it, there is all of that dad kind of underlay there that he grew up without a senior male figure in his life, his dad who he... He kind of, there's all this mystery surrounding him. And again, going back to Tom Cruise and his motivation, I think one of the reasons why Tom Cruise wrote, or like wanted to introduce that weird dad element without it, like it would just be a strict Planes in the Sky movie. But one of the reasons he wanted to introduce it was because he said, I can really relate to that feeling of not, like not knowing what your relationship with your dad is or that mystery surrounding it because... You know, Tom Cruise's dad was uh, abusive, emotionally abusive, and he was a bully. And he left when I think Tom Cruise was 12. And, you know, he's he was described as being like a six foot two, much taller than Tom Cruise. So he would have been towering over him as a little boy and a bully. So I think that that kind of, he's obviously as a person motivated by the pursuit of some kind of fatherly knowledge, you know, in the way that children who lack that Perhaps, I mean, Sarah, you've talked as well about trying to find father figures in pop culture. With Iceman, he's, he also kind of serves for that character as some kind of male, senior male figure. He's the more authoritarian dad that's like, 
you just can't you just can't take risks like that. You've got to have the safety and the well-being of your brothers in mind. For an antagonist, for him to have that moment where he's like, you can you can fly and you can not like any of the men who you're flying with, but you have to be safe and you have to make sure that they all come home. That's like probably the most dad moment in the movie. Anyone who is a man in this movie who asserts something that is like a message is inherently a father to Tom Cruise, right? Because no one, he's shaped his entire life around being like, well, like if I can't have a dad, I'm going to like be like this and then fuck you if you don't agree with it. And it's like a guy who you think is edgy until you're like more than 17 years old. And then you realize like, as he realizes after his buddy dies that he's just insecure. Maverick looks real cool, but this guy just hurts real bad. What you're saying too, it's like about Tom Cruise, not to read too much into it because we rarely go off topic text it in this show, but I'm glad that you have the knowledge that you do about this. Holy shit, this man is the father of a religion now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't He's it? He's at least like one of the chosen ones. He's like Paul Atreides. This is what this is what men risk by abandoning their families. <laughs> mm, Scientology. And it's like Tom Cruise, you're enough. The only actual dad in the movie, Goose is kind of almost weirdly like Maverick's son in lots of ways, mm. or at least his, like, little brother. Yeah. And he doesn't have the – he doesn't carry that authority of fatherhood that Iceman and Viper do. Even that Stinger does, you know, like James Tolkien's character, that sort of authoritarianism or that – it doesn't feel like Maverick wouldn't look to Goose for an example of how to live as a man. Goose is just his best friend who he feels responsible for, you know, taking care of the life of. I, I don't by any means say that talking about the homoeroticism of the movie is itself a low-hanging fruit. What I think is a low-hanging fruit is only lingering on that and not talking about the militarism and not talking about these other themes and not talking about things like how dynamic Charlie is. So can we talk about the homoeroticism in this movie? This was, as you just said, Clementine, this this ended up being intentionally a military recruiting piece. It ended up getting a lot of guys signed up to the military. Some artists didn't participate, like Brian Adams and Matthew Modine didn't have anything to do with the, the, uh, the movie because they didn't want to be seen as being sort of military boosters. It didn't fit their, fit their image. And for a movie that was essentially like an hour and 40 minute long commercial for a, a branch of the American military, it was also... I just beautifully, extraordinarily queer uh, in aesthetic. Does that play into your love for this movie, Clementine? I think that it makes it a lot easier to watch as a woman to have that element to it because it feels, it doesn't feel like just watching men be like repulsively sexist with each other in order to form bonds of brotherhood. And interestingly, there is one line in the movie where I think Iceman says, it's after their first class, Iceman says the ladies' room is downstairs. And that's the only explicitly sexist kind of insult that's thrown around in the movie, which is quite extraordinary when you think about the fact that this is the mid-'80s where, you know, the F word was still being used to describe gay men like freely and sexism was just part and parcel of like mocking men for being women was just and it's still part and parcel of male narratives now 
I think actually one of the reasons why I enjoy this film so much is because I do like I do like explosions on screen. I do like sort of like mindless, fluffy popcorn films that have astrophysicist hot babe Kelly McGillis in them. Like, I like that. But what detracts from me from watching those films is when I have to go, ugh, but I've got to like swallow all of this sexism as well. I've got to kind of be reminded constantly that this movie is not really for me and that the world is not really for me because it's for men and it's for men to fly their planes in. So I think the absence of that allows me to enjoy the more like ridiculous elements of it. And then obviously the queerness of the film is extremely appealing, not just because queer culture is amazing, but also because it's it's a way in which you can see, I guess, an emotional and a lustful and sexual expression between men that is so often absent in the world in this sort of uh, joyful kind of way. You know, going back to what we were talking about earlier about one of the reasons why these films appeal to men is because they really ramp up the hyper-masculinity of it while providing a backdoor for men to be able to kind of emote with each other. And that's kind of queer in itself. Yeah, beautifully put. Now, Top Gun was created to teach ACM, air combat maneuvering, dogfighting. This gives me a hard on. By the end of Vietnam, that ratio was back up to 12 to 1. Don't tease me. Blind speed. Oh, well, I have some questions for you first, Alex. Okay. <laughs> okay. Where can you find pleasure, search the world for treasure, learn science, technology? Where can you begin to make your dreams all come true? On the land or on the sea, where can you learn? I got the meter off, but I'm reading off a lyrics page. On the land or on the sea, where can you learn to fly, play in sports and skin dive, study oceanography, sign up for the big band or sit in the grandstand when your team and others meet? What is the answer? <laughs> it's not the danger zone, is it? In the Navy, you oh can sail God. the seven seas. In the Navy, you can put your mind at ease. In the Navy, come on now, people, make a stand. In the Navy. In the Navy. I've always found that song interesting, though, seriously, because, and I'm sure, you know, this. I could just look this up, but I prefer to just idly worry, wonder about it for my whole life. Were they affiliated with the Navy? Was the Navy, like, write us a disco song about joining the Navy? Or, like, did they feel like doing that just by themselves for some reason? And why? But, like, whatever. It's such a good song. And I think maybe... I don't know if this, I mean, the song must have encouraged people to actually join the Navy, but I feel like when I listen to that song, I guess like thinking about the Navy and all the nice men touching each other's butts and studying oceanography together. It's like a nice mental image, you know? And so like, this movie reminds me of a category of other movies that I love, which we've already started talking about for this show. So like Newsies, Dead Poet Society, um, heavyweights, which I loved when I was a kid <laughs> um, and just watched last night. Movies where a bunch of boys are friends and uh, do teamwork together. And, you know, the, these are movies that sometimes are just like a bunch of kids. And in fact, when you're a kid, there's a lot more movies where the premise is that a bunch of people are friends and do stuff together. And instead of being in, you know, the Navy, they're like Mighty Ducks 
<laughs> and sometimes there are girls, but not too many. Um, because if you want to watch a movie about a bunch of kids that are uncomplicatedly friends with each other and you are a girl child, then sometimes, or maybe most of the time in my experience in the 90s, most of those movies are about boys being friends with each other. I remember my brother was a huge Star Wars fan growing up. But, you know, like like you, Sarah, I watched all of those buddy movies when I was a kid. I loved Newsies, you know, The Mighty Ducks, anything that was kind of like about a group of kids being friends. I didn't have a lot of friends when I was a kid. So, I don't know, it was aspirational, I guess. You, As a girl especially, you really learn to see like to find yourself however you can in that story, whether or not it's just in the themes of the story and you just have to suck up the fact that you'll never really be properly represented. And I remember asking my brother about um, his love for Star Wars because uh, I, I wrote about it in, in one of my books about girls on film and the representation of women in pop culture and, and how it kind of like plays into gender inequality. And he said quite naturally, he was like, well, I loved imagining myself in the movie, you know, which is the basic premise of any any of those kind of hero adventure stories is you want to be able to match, imagine yourself in the movie. And as girls, of course, you have to imagine yourself adjacent to the movie or like in, a, in, an, in an environment where maybe you could be a part of the Goonies, but like you didn't find the map. And I, I suspect that there is, again, like coming back to Top Gun, this is... Alex, you can speak more to this, but if men are prevented from having these, if patriarchy makes men feel like they're prevented from having these really deep emotional bonds with each other, then what they're looking for in these films and these heroes' quests is a, a narrative in which they can kind of go through something together in order to reach that level of emotional communication. I think that this movie provides through its overt text and its subtext, a lot of aspirational imagery for whoever is watching it. Any number of the dads who we heard this is their favorite movie, it's either an opportunity to be a hero, or as Clementine just said, it's an opportunity mm. to have a, a particular kind of camaraderie, maybe shaped around excellence, maybe shaped around militancy. And like with in the Navy, I always read it in the context of how my dad described the Navy, which was like, you're away together for a long time like some guys are just gonna hook up and that's just how it goes and that was like the most that was the first time I actually heard my dad acknowledge anything adjacent to, to homosexuality and I was like what <laughs> and I always read that as like in the navy is a is a fantasy of like you get to go to a place and be sequestered with hmm. a bunch of guys and you play hmm. play volleyball and glisten a lot and so I think that no matter who you are watching this movie there's this part of the magic of Top Gun Top Gun's a magical movie it gives you an opportunity to see something great in a lot of what's represented. I mean, it gives you an opportunity to see not just a bimbo, but an astrophysicist who has who has a rich background in in her life that is not just the love interest in the movie. There's there's <laughs> who fucking knew? Clementine, you knew. That's why you suggested we watch this movie. <laughs> layers. Many layers. I'm gonna be honest with you. Your MIG sighting is really important to my work, but um, I don't normally invite students to my house. You're, uh, but un please understand, I still have a job to do. 
Maverick's friend Goose dies. His confidence is shaken. He dies in a way that might be kind of Iceman's fault and kind of Maverick's fault. It's confusing. But it turns out that it's no one's fault somehow. Like, yeah. <laughs> But it's also kind of everyone's fault. Clementine, what do you think? I'm, I'm upset about Goose because I think he was the best character maybe of the whole 80s. <laughs> I mean, you cannot fault Anthony Edwards. He is... He is classic goofball dad. Like, if he weren't in that movie, he could have been in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I mean, except no one can ever replace Rick Moranis. We agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, but Anthony Edwards, just like, I feel like without him, this movie would have, it would have done well, I'm sure. But like, he really, I don't know. He really... He's the heart of the movie. To me, is the core of it. Yeah. He's the, he's, he's the Jesse Plemons in uh, Friday Night Lights, which I'm wa- watching for yes. the first time. He is us watching the movie. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And he's also, he's ugly. No one else in this movie is ugly. Totally. And like, totally. I mean no disrespect to Anthony Edwards. He's gorgeous. I would like, I would boff him immediately. But, like, he looks like a person, which Tom Cruise does not. Like, he looks like one of us homely lumpkins sitting in the theater. <laughs> like a dad. He looks like a dad. Yes. Like a dad. He looks like a dad. Uh, but, hey, he landed Meg Ryan, so, you know, go dads. I mean, look, the military is obviously to blame here. Uh, but that's not the message that we're meant to be taking away, of course. We also know that the military in life and in the universe of Top Gun is pretty good at burying the secrets. So potentially, maybe Iceman and Maverick are responsible. Like, they f- maybe they're definitely responsible for Goose's death, but the military is going to be like, you know what, we looked into it and we think it's fine. We think it's fine. We're just going to put that in a folder. This very likely happened as a part of the tension between Maverick and, and, and Iceman. As far as the military is concerned, they might lose one of their two top top one percent pilots, so it's like, yeah, it was no one's fault. It, these things happen. These things happen, as we as we know. So Goose dies. Maverick's confidence is shaken even more overtly than it had been beforehand. He doesn't win the Top Gun trophy. However, everyone is called to a real life bad situation where we need good pilots to somehow intervene. The specifics don't matter. But we are left with a situation in which Maverick eventually has to save Iceman's ass. So this whole scene is completely... It's like a fever dream. It makes no sense. But it it serves (laughs) only... The only purpose of it is so that we can have the moment between Iceman and Maverick at the end where they get off of their planes and Maverick's having, like, everyone's slapping his back and hugging him and you've got Tim Robbins behind him that's like, yeah, I'm suddenly in this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're like, great, another guy I can relate to. Very tall, by the way. Hmm. Um, and, and then you have that moment where, like, the music is playing and then all of a sudden, like, perfectly, it kind of, like, the music just pulls away, like, curtains opening on the stage, this moment between Maverick and his dad, because Iceman is the dad. (laughs) And he stands there and he's like, he's, you know, he's, he's not smiling all of a sudden. He's waiting for his dad to give him his approval. He's waiting for his dad to say to him, you did good, son. And Iceman says to him, you can be my wingman anytime. And he's like, bullshit, dad, you can be mine. 
<laughs> and then they hug. And they have that moment of, like, fatherly-son resolution where Maverick has finally arrived in the, in the like, the soothing, beautiful light of his dad's acceptance, this dad that he never knew. And he's found him. It's like playing catch with Ray Liotta at the end of uh, Field of Dreams. Oh, yes. Sarah, before I end, end with the question, is there, do you have any final thoughts? It's important to remember that Tony Scott made The Hunger like maybe four years before he made this movie. And I think that if Hollywood absolutely must make military propaganda, they should hire a director who just did a queer vampire film because that seems to work out pretty well. Um, and also that I appreciate the fact that Tom Cruise wanted there to be less death in this. It's like, it's a weird movie. It's weird to watch it and be like, this took place in the eighties. Like it's, this is a peacetime movie. It's like a weird concept. They're at school. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it. I love that it's like pilot school. Okay. So we know. Who the do do we we don't even know who the dad is? I say that like there's it's coming. so many dads. There's, oh my gosh! Everyone's a dad who's not Tom Cruise. Who is the daddy? Who's not dad in this movie? That's the question. Meg Ryan, <laughs> Maverick, and Reg Ryan are the only two non dads in this whole film. I wanted to mention this just because it's it is interesting in the context of like so many men signing up to the Navy after this film. The very next movie that Tom Cruise did and that he was offered halfway through filming this was Born on the Fourth of July which is the best anti-war huh. movie. What is Tom Cruise all about? I think he's I think he's anti I mean it's a military movie but he wanted it to not be that. So, yeah. He doesn't like death maybe. That's cool. Or like he doesn't care about war, he just loves planes. Like <laughs> it, we don't have to be at war to be in planes. I also, this movie made me think of Mission Impossible 2, which is a movie that opens with Tom Cruise rock climbing, and he's like bouldering, you know, and it's really him, and he's really on this sheer rock face, and it looks very perilous, and his muscles are very big, and I was watching this, and just like, (laughs) I love the part where Tom Cruise, where Maverick, I'm sorry, I love the part where Maverick is on his motorcycle going as fast as he can and, like, he sees the plane beside him and he's like, yeah! And it's like, (laughs) we're both on fast things. Yeah! (laughs) And I love that. And I love that, um, I love that he made a movie about his love of fast things and need for dad and everyone was like, yes, me too. And I also feel like Tom Cruise is enough, and I want him to know that. Like, he is enough, and, like, he doesn't have to be climbing things or running really fast for me to love him. Like, I just appreciate whatever he does I think is great. (laughs) That's a message to the listener as well. (laughs) Yes. It's true. (laughs) Clementine, do you you think there's, like, a— an ultimate daddy in this movie? Like, sexually, Tom Skerritt is the dad. He's the daddy. Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that Goose is the only dad who, but is also not the dad. Yeah, like, Iceman's the, the yeah. Maverick's father, but Tom Skerritt is the daddy. Well, you, Sarah, do you have a strong feeling? It's Kelly McGillis. She's, and I love how also 
Maverick has this attraction to both Iceman and Charlie, who are both just sort of well-intentioned people who call him on his bullshit in a way that is neither aggressive nor polite. They're just like, you're not a team player. I want to know about the MIG. Like, he loves people that are not charmed by him. (laughs) I do like how when he turns up to her house for dinner at, like, 5.30, that is so early. So she's the dad. That's an early time. She's the granddad. That's an early time. Yeah, yeah. Um, But when he says to her, like, do you mind if I take a shower? And she's like... I'm five years older than you and I'm not putting up with that nonsense. Like, no, I'm hungry. We're going to eat now. I feel like a lot of young women could learn from that. Oh, yeah. And just for when, like, some some guy turns up and it's like, can I do this completely ridiculous thing that you could have never anticipated? And instead of going along with it, you're like, no. Let's go sit on some wicker furniture and talk about your daddy issues. That's what we're going to yeah, do tonight. That's a that's a great. I loved that exchange. I loved that like <laughs> that like she wasn't just like, "Oh, that's wild. Like you are a maverick." She's just like, "No." No. <laughs> I agree oh, with I you, a... Sarah. <laughs> she is the daddy. <laughs> Clementine, thank you so much. This has been an absolute uh, delight. Thank you so much for humoring my love of this movie and asking me to be on the show i've had such a great time and uh, i'm a huge fan of everything that you guys are doing i listen eagerly and enthusiastically to each episode oh you're our dad i'm your dad (laughs) (laughs) i'm so proud of my kids All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of Wire Dads. If you're watching movies along with us, next week we'll be talking about The Great Friday. That's just Friday, I should say, so you're not looking for The Great Friday. The week after that, we will be watching The Squid and the Whale. And then after that, Frankenstein and Young Frankenstein. And finally, in the lead up to Election Week, Angels in America, there's a lot of Trump (laughs) to unpack in there. So uh, hopefully in what will very likely be an anxious week for many of us, uh, we can retreat into some Kushner. We want to thank Clementine Ford for joining us on today's show. It was a blast to have her here. All of our music today came from the wonderful Carolyn Kendrick, who also produced today's episode. We want to thank you, of course, for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Take care for now.